0: You're listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Mugopshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in Going Full Crypto.
1: The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for
0: informational purposes only welcome to episode 19 of our podcast and thank you everyone for being with us and listening so far we're 19 episodes in this is our third month recording this on the first of october and it's been an exciting journey so this is going to be an exciting episode because as we've titled it the coming currency wars if you've been um, aware of what's happening with the world coping, or the, I should more rightly say that the financial institutions coping with cryptocurrency is governments coming up with their own form of, well, quote unquote slash dubbed a cryptocurrency, but it's actually a CBDC, which stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. And I say competing because it aims to do what cryptocurrency has proposed to do, which is be a virtual currency that is easy to transfer between people over the internet. Except it really lacks what a cryptocurrency stands for, one of the aspects anyway, which is decentralization. And we thought that the coming currency wars was a perfect title for countries around the world competing to create something that virtual currencies has which that cryptocurrencies has so
1: yeah and not only that but currencies like world currencies are already competing with one another on a global stage so for example the US currency is competing with the Chinese yen and they have been competing for a while and the Chinese yen has been gaining territory or gaining ground on the United States dollar for some time now having achieved its own reserve status uh, with the United Nations in 2016. And so we already see these currency wars uh, picking up. I think the thing that no country really predicted was going to enter the stage and be a competitor is Bitcoin. And uh, I think that's what a lot of this conversation is going to be tailored around today, is what are the competing kinds of currencies and what kind of uh, value proposition do each one of these bring to the table?
0: Mm -hmm. So in order to very... properly segment these cryptocurrencies, we have created three categories for the purpose of this episode. The first one is the people's currency, dubbed as Bitcoin. Then the second one is a business coin. And a very simple example of this is Libra. But there's tons of examples as well. Libra is not the only one. Essentially, any cryptocurrency that has a token um, that represents its business is a business coin. And then the third one is a Fed coin. Um, also known as a central bank digital currency. So let's begin with Fedcoin, because we've covered Bitcoin before. Bitcoin is something people are most aware of. I think the two segments that people aren't most aware of is the business coin or a token of some sort, uh, as well as the CBDC. So let's go from the bottom up. Let's go to Fedcoin first.
1: Sure. And I, and I think ending with Bitcoin, ending with a people's currency is actually going to be a great way to tie everything together. Uh, The thing that I want to mention about our our categorizations of these coins is that uh, the question that really needs to be asked is whose interests does these currencies actually support? And so when we're talking about the people's currency, the people's currency supports the interests of people. The business currency supports the uh, interests of businesses. And then the Fed coins, they support the interests of whatever federal agency or country or nation or organization uh, has created that currency, whether to be the United States, uh, China, or the United Nations, even.
0: Right. So let's really start by asking Keegan, what is the purpose for governments around the world coming up with their own coin?
1: There's quite a few reasons. One of the main reasons is that they've detected inefficiencies with having a cash-based system. Uh, it's extremely inefficient to. Keep on producing more dollar bills, physical dollar bills, and maintaining that system. And furthermore, it's uh, it's unreliable, and it costs a lot of money to maintain. Uh, They can't track it as well as they they might like to. So there's you know there's a multitude of reasons that a country would want to uh, put at least a portion of their money on some sort of digital ledger of sorts.
0: So just to restate, countries not all around the world but some countries have to have a physical bill yeah. that supports every digital currency that you see um, as a number in your from your bank account yeah and the reasons that you just stated was it's expensive to produce and it's inefficient to track yeah and something that banks and governments like to do is really keep track of their money where it really where, where it's going where it's circulating and if it's less expensive for governments to produce that's even better, because that money can be reallocated to something that requires more attention.
1: Yeah, in theory, having a a country with a central bank digital currency, so a completely digitized uh, dollar, let's just say, uh, it would allow them to completely eradicate counterfeit. so counterfeit would become impossible. And that's that's a real big benefit uh money laundering would be a lot more difficult to to do because it'd be a lot more easy to to detect so there are some real benefits from the country's perspective but there's also some cons there's also some really big drawbacks from the people's perspective uh and privacy is the biggest thing that i can think of the biggest issue that i think the average individual should have with a central bank digital currency Is privacy. Is privacy, that's right. Yeah, like every single one of your spending habits, every dollar that comes and goes from your bank account would be tracked. Uh, And whether or not... That's something you care about that's that's a different discussion but uh,
0: but depending on what institution you're with it's already tracked because the banking right. institution that i'm with uh, i can see these insights on uh, where i'm spending my money and how much money is coming into my bank account versus how much is going out and sure it's great for me to have this information but my bank also has this information i i read terms and conditions i remember reading that the bank has full right over who it sells this data to and it's these third parties and they only, well, yeah, they have rights to sell this data to these third parties and I cannot deny it. I remember reading that correctly.
1: Well, you're probably one of the, like the three people in this country that have actually read the terms and conditions. Don't get I love that you do that. Uh, that's pretty amazing. So sure, I'll take your word for it. That's I believe you read that. Oh
0: man, the, the amount of stuff that you realize you're agreeing to on the internet—it's it, like beyond a certain point, there's no turning back, right? Because I can't go and take my um, account off of all of these places on the internet because they already know so much about me the other day this is a side tangent uh, but the other day our friend was telling us that this ring was advertised to her and how did Facebook know what what ring she liked? and it was the ring that she wanted and she looked at a, a hundred other rings on this website as we do when we browse things but she said that the one that I was shown was the one that I loved and how does how does the internet know exactly what I would like to buy
1: yeah, and we can extend that into the currency conversation and really wonder whether or not our spending habits are being shared with advertisers. Like that's something that I would rather not have be the case. And I, I wouldn't even really like the capability to be there because if you build the door, it's only a matter of time before someone walks through it. In the sense that if you build the capability to share my spending habits with the world... Um, and it can be monetized in some way, shape, or form, surely a bank will find a way to mount monetize that information.
0: Well, yeah, depending on the kind of bank, of course. Uh, but then then the question becomes, okay, with central bank digital currencies, if your every spending habit is tracked by the government, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? It depends on what the agenda of the government is for each and every person, of course, uh, and if there is any amount of privacy that is granted to the particular individual upon signing up for this digital currency.
1: Yeah, and I, I, if
0: that is even a choice,
1: because exactly, it can
0: just be that hey, we're actually going to stop using physical bills. I don't. It just seems so impossible for a government to go ahead and say that actually. We're not going to use any cash, no cash at
1: all. Well, just imagine if they did say that people in rural areas that don't have access to the Internet, like, they would really have to make sure that every person in, in Canada, for example, has access to the Internet. And that's not the case today. There's yeah. still populations in rural areas that do not have access to the Internet. And what are they going to tell them? Like, too bad, suicide, so you can't use the money anymore. And And this kind of brings us back to like the belief system of money. Yeah. If those people still have like those physical bills circulating in their microeconomy, there's no reason why they can't use that as money. Right. And yeah. So in reality, if the government was to actually say, hey, we're going to phase out bills, they'd probably need to give the entire population a 10 year leeway. Right. So these central bank digital currencies, like they are coming. But uh, we can We want to be realistic about the timeline, and,
0: and it needs to be accessible to its people.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're not gonna. It's not gonna be. You're not gonna wake up tomorrow and have the government of Canada tell you that you must phase out your your bills and take them to the nearest bank in exchange for digits on the screen. That's
0: yeah. I I don't know the exact numbers on this fact, but I just wanted to put it out there. You're probably listening to this on the internet. You're actually. You're obviously listening to this <laughs> on the internet but there are people in the world who don't have access to the internet they are missing out on the wealth of information that is available to people like you and i and the funny thing is that there's more people who have access to the internet than have access to financial services yeah which if you take a second to think about it that's mind-blowing there's more people who can access free information on the internet than have access to a financial institution where they can save their money
1: that is kind of (laughs) mind-blowing yeah i i also don't know the number but uh it's my opinion that um i bet i share this opinion with a lot of other people that the access to the internet access to free information is a basic human right it's like a utility it's like the free flowing of water in canada it's like being able to feed yourself and having a roof over your head I really think that uh, like having access to free information is the quickest way to bring every single person
0: up uh,
1: to speed, out of poverty, close the wealth gap, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There's lots of things that the internet can do for people and uh, <laughs> you don't need to pay for a $60,000 education at a university. There's We're lot
0: trending there. towards it.
1: Uh, uh, trending towards not, not
0: Yeah, not yeah. requiring to get a degree to show for your skill set.
1: Yeah, like showed up Wikipedia, for example, (laughs) that's an amazing resource.
0: Yeah, we have uh, gone on a very long tangent. (laughs) Yes, we
1: did. That's okay.
0: (laughs) Let's hope our audience enjoyed it. So let's get back to a central bank digital currency. We just explored what a nation and its people would look like or what they would have to go through to really phase out physical dollars.
1: Right. As far as the currency war goes, uh, I really see there being three competitors on the world stage uh, from the Fed coin perspective, from the central bank digital currencies perspective, like we are most certainly in uncertain economic times. That was a weird sentence, but uh, we I, I think that the three main actors here is uh, the United Nations. <clears throat> so let's just imagine a scenario where the currencies uh, like the US dollar and the Chinese yen collapse for whatever reason. I could see a day where the United Nations comes together with with the countries that make up the United Nations to build some sort of centralized uh, global currency, some sort of United Nations sanctioned currency. That is one option. The other two options is uh, the United States digitizes their currency and, and continues to be the world reserve currency. And then China has already this is this is might be news for people but China has already digitized the currency it happened in April of 2020 during covid so they they got covid they're plowing through it and they're like oh yeah by the way we're launching the the biggest digital currency project the world has ever seen So China's already on this path on this trajectory and uh, this could give them a very powerful leg up on the world stage as far as the currency war goes
0: yeah, just thinking about all the stuff that I've read in the past couple of weeks, every every currency has a lifetime, whether you want it or not, unless something is scarce and unless something, it is, something is usable by a mass majority of population, it's it's just going to phase out at a certain point. And in the just previous episode, we talked about how Bitcoin is the most efficient form of money that has ever existed. Um, so oh gosh, what was I getting to? <laughs> oh wow i think i forgot my point
1: that's okay well i mean the only reason why bitcoin is so efficient uh, not the only reason but like a main reason is its scarcity right there's no way that governments once they build their central bank digital currency they can increase the efficiency of almost every dimension of that money including like the transaction transactability accessibility etc etc if they don't build in scarcity into their currency it still pales in comparison to bitcoin the thing that Bitcoin has that no one else does is uh, ultimate scarcity.
0: Well, let's talk about scarcity for a second and talk about hard assets versus soft assets. So, well, Bitcoin is dubbed digital gold because of some correlations between the process of acquiring Bitcoin as well as the scarcity aspect of it. If we were to have a money be something of a hard asset, what would it need to look like? Should it not be Bitcoin or gold?
1: I mean, this is a cop-out answer, but it would need to look like Bitcoin. I or know, gold. Or gold. Yeah. Right. Sure. I mean, they look very similar uh, on the on the front anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's great. I, I, have- it's,
0: I think more so it should have the properties of something that is scarce, something that is truly decentralized in in the sense that it belongs to the public so it's for the public and it isn't manipulated by the agenda of the state or anyone or anyone any
1: businesses any any states like you say any nations um no one entity by any name should have the ability to alter the course of money money really should at, at the end of the day unbiasedly serve every single person on earth
0: money should belong to the people because it is for the people
1: yeah It's kind of like that whole basic utility idea of the internet and like every single person should have unbiased access to the internet and every single person should have the same unbiased access to money.
0: Yeah, but here we are talking about what people should and shouldn't have (laughs) and yet we do not have the power uh, or well, people around the world have the power to choose to have a self sovereign form of money, which is Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, the the caveat is that it's opt-in. Right, it, uh, You don't have to use Bitcoin, whereas uh, if you live in a country, you actually must use that currency because you must pay taxes in that currency. And if you don't pay taxes, then you can face legal repercussions. So one of the amazing things about Bitcoin is it's completely opt-in. Bitcoin is not going to enforce a law against you for not using it, for example.
0: Right. And it doesn't have a tax that you have to pay to it either because it's not governed by a nation state
1: right and i happen to really like that aspect about about bitcoin yeah
0: just to be clear that doesn't mean that you opt into bitcoin so you don't have to pay taxes that's not what we're saying
1: correct yeah, yeah you still have to pay taxes yeah
0: yeah so well let's let's talk about cbdc's again or, or fed coins as you have dubbed it what what is the reason you dubbed it as Fedcoin?
1: oh this is just the industry term okay yeah
0: well no no i, I I wanted you to <laughs> expand Fed.
1: Fed is federal. Okay. Yeah. So federally sanctioned. Yeah. So Federal Reserve. Um, I know that, you know, in China, they, I don't, I'm not even sure if like Fed or federal is like, a term that translates into the way that the Chinese economy works or the Chinese government works but no
0: it's the People's Bank I remember there's some sort of acronym PBC or something something
1: like the People's Bank of China yeah is, the, is their version of the central bank yeah in the United States yeah something like that or
0: Federal that. Reserve
1: yeah point is that uh, the, the like the Federal Reserve is actually a different entity than the US government as well right perhaps that's a, another conversation
0: yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be a different entity. Uh, and I mean, if you look at it, institution and organization-wise, they are two separate entities, but there's a huge relation between what the government is going through and what the federal monetary policy or what the federal government, wait, no, federal government, I'm, I'm messing up terms here.
1: Federal uh, Reserve?
0: Federal Reserve, yeah. There's just a huge correlation between what actions the Federal Reserve takes when compared against the agenda of the country?
1: Yeah and so this goes back to the the intention or who has the governing control over these currencies. like that is actually the real relevant question to ask <clears throat> about your currency because like you want to know who has the ability to alter the supply, for example, or um, take money out of circulation or inject a new circulation or new money into circulation. Those are the relevant questions to ask. Uh, about about money in general,
0: right? And at some point, you you have to trust someone. I mean, if uh, gosh, I don't want to use terms that I am not. Gonna say, I was gonna say nationalist, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna use that term. the The thing is, we were forced to get off of the gold standard. We were forced to start using bills that the government gave us, and like you very rightly said, Bitcoin is an opt in money system. Um, But right now, we have to trust, well, I guess we have an option, but we have to trust the people who are responsible for making the decisions for our country as well as for our money. Yeah. And that's the centralized aspect of of any central bank digital currency or just any central bank currency.
1: I'd also like to just add that we actually don't need to trust it. We don't need to trust them. and And personally, I don't. Uh, Not because I don't think that they're good people, it's because I don't think humans have the ability to manage money. Because I think that human error is inevitable and we're eventually going to make mistakes, and I think we have. That's the reason why I don't trust them. It's not because I don't think that they're good people. Uh,
0: Right, it's not a judgment of their ethics or their intellect. Right. It's a judgment of their actions.
1: Right, so I think that the system itself is fundamentally flawed. Having humans at the helm of our money system... I think is, is the fundamental flaw. I don't think that the humans are flawed necessarily, but I do think that having the humans there and having the ability to pull levers, I want those levers to not exist. And that's what Bitcoin represents for me. Those levers are not built into Bitcoin. And that's why, I, that's why we call it the people's currencies, because no one can pull those levers. Everyone has an equal inability to pull the levers of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I can just uh, kind of, if I'm trying to think out loud about what people who will hear this, who don't really truly believe cryptocurrency is going to exist for a very long time. uh, I can see them say that, well, you need someone to be responsible. So you can point a finger at them and say, well, they decided it and now they need to fix it. And maybe it's the kind of society that we've developed for ourselves or, you know, probably a multitude of factors. But it's, it's very hard to trust a decentralized currency. It's very hard to trust that instead of putting your trust um, or lack thereof in one centralized institution, you just put it in everybody, all of the people who decide to support this.
1: Yeah, trust is pretty multifaceted but with, with respect to, to currencies. Uh, we, we can actually point to institutions with FedCoin and business coins. Uh, but, but with Bitcoin, it's, it's a lot more difficult to... Uh, to discern which aspect of it you actually need to trust, because we're we're so naturally inclined to think about trusting currencies. What aspect of Bitcoin do I actually need to put my trust in? And I would say uh, the electrical networks, the internet itself, the and the math. code, the math, and and the code. And for people growing up in the digital age, like for example, I've never known anything but the internet. I I don't remember a time where the internet didn't exist for me. Trusting a a money that is completely based on code is is about second nature. It's well, there's, it, there's nothing weird about that.
0: Well, you need to be very specific when you say that too, because a central bank digital currency is also completely based on code. True. So it's not just the fact that it is based on code; it's the fact that it is programmed and decentralized, so that no change can take place unless a majority of the population agrees to reflect that change. But when there is when we're talking about a million people trying to coordinate that uh, effort between a million people all over the world, that's difficult.
1: Right. Yeah. And so you and I, we're people that can actually go in and read the Bitcoin code base. So we can actually go in and make sure that the way that the people, other people who are saying it works like this, well, we can actually go and check their work because Bitcoin is open sourced and we can check to see that no levers exist. Whereas a central bank digital currency I I would be really really surprised if they open sourced that technology. I'd be just floored. That would be an, an amazing surprise if they decided to release that code base to the public. And I just it, don't
0: think that's possible. Yeah,
1: exactly. I don't yeah, think it's possible governments either. governments
0: don't operate that way, right? It's it's trusting the people mostly that isn't part of um, just a part of what we're taught. It's so segmented um, or segregated, like there's a couple of people that are responsible for this task and that that's their focus and um, I'm just thinking out loud here from what I know and what I've seen that it's it'll be a very interesting society where there's trust dispersed um, among people more people
1: yeah and I, I do think that a central bank digital currency could work if trust was disseminated in a better way and Here's an example of like one hypothetical way that a central bank digital currency could work. I think it would be awesome if it was actually linked to our voter profile as well. I don't think there's any reason why we shouldn't have e-voting on a mass scale done correctly. Like we've been in the age of the Internet for 30 years. And for some reason, we can't figure out how to have anonymous uh, voting, like uh, bulletproof voting on a on a uh country-wide scale I, I think that's a little far-fetched honestly i think i
0: know we have autonomous cars we are sending missions to go to mars we're looking at and uh, have habit- uh, habitating um the moon of jupiter but we cannot do electronic voting.
1: yeah on-demand referendums like that's not a thing that we can do and that's that seems really weird like i want my voice to be able to be heard and I want to know what other people are saying as well like I actually do want to participate that's
0: what twitter's for in-
1: <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> aren't you on twitter I am on twitter Crypto-Key? yeah
1: yeah yeah my my vote uh I don't exactly do get not to participate vote on twitter. in Canadian polymer, parliament on uh, on twitter <laughs> I can tweet at Justin Trudeau though I think
0: yeah I mean you can yeah <laughs> It'd be very interesting if uh, tweets were considered um, important enough to be to take into consideration when new laws are passed. But again, we digress. And I think the reason why we're digressing so much, it's it's because you cannot really put a finger on it and say this is the solution. Yeah. Because a solution cannot be, be reached right now. There's so much uncertainty, like you very rightly said, that I'm most certain that we are in uncertain economic times.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm it's pretty sure economy. that's the case right now. Yeah,
0: and we're just discussing what essential uh bank digital currency looks like the kind of impact that it would have, but all of this is just our thoughts because nothing can be set in stone. It all depends on what the people decide, because at the end of the day, you can force your people to use a particular currency, but if they choose to opt out, if they have another option, what are you going to do about it?
1: And that's that wild card.
0: A nation is nothing without its people.
1: Yeah. True, and it's actually nothing without its money. It's it's That's nothing true. without its people using the money.
0: Yeah, to connect really both dots.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, we talked a lot about a central bank digital currency. And I want to take the conversation to the business coin as well, because I think that is a really fascinating discussion that... That also has not existed thus far, Um, but I I do want to connect it to the U.S. dollar as well. So there's a couple of facets that I want to touch on with respect to business coin. The thing that you've most likely heard of, I I shouldn't say that, we shouldn't assume that our audience has heard of this. Uh, Facebook has decided to build their own currency of sorts. It's not their currency. They've actually started a subsidiary company where they hold one of 100 controlling seats at the table for this currency. And this currency is called Libra.
0: Proposed. That was a proposal a while ago. I yeah. don't think that is the case anymore.
1: Right. And yeah, they did rename it, didn't they?
0: Yes. But I don't remember to what.
1: Yeah, that would... kinda
0: just fell by the wayside, really. It was all hyped up when that interview with Mark Zuckerberg and oh gosh. It was court of some sort. I don't remember what that setting is called. It was on YouTube. And once that came out, once everything was um really blown out of not blown out of proportion. I'm like finding it really hard to find my words here, um, but I, I feel like it fell by the wayside because all of the companies that decided that they wanted to be participants in this particular network one by one withdrew their participation and then it just some of them did some of them well like not the, all of them Visa some of them.
1: Mastercard uh, PayPal I think the other payment kind of companies exited the table but but yeah let, let's talk a little bit about what that that looks like so even though it doesn't exist uh, anymore in in the state that we're talking about it, we can actually still talk about it and the implications that it might have. Because uh, if there was to be a business coin in the future, it's likely that it'll actually look a lot like what Facebook proposed it to look like. So Facebook had one of these hundred seats at the table where the other seats were held by multinational companies with multinational interests such as Visa, PayPal, MasterCard, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, These really big tech companies that would have an interest in creating essentially a centralized network where they have access or ability to seamlessly integrate their payment technologies into their own individual platforms. And this is really quite, earlier in the conversation, we talked about a central bank digital currency where they would be able to sell the data, our payment and our spending behavior to businesses. Well, this is taking out that the government as the middle person and just putting businesses uh, in place of like the businesses would have direct access to our spending habits and, and behaviors is, is essentially what I'm saying. Like we wouldn't trust and trusting the government would actually just not even be a thing at this point, because by using Libra, we would be exposing our spending behaviors to this company that they would just be known at that point
0: more so advertisers because it would really all be connected something that uh, one of the dreams of having libra successes there's businesses that conduct off of whatsapp which is owned by facebook and instagram which is owned by facebook and facebook which is facebook and well marketplace for example and if there was a payments rail just attached directly into facebook facebook has a huge user base and it would make it extremely simple for people to send money across each of their platforms and that's a lot of power for one company even if it has a partnership with other companies and one seat at the table with this kind of participation. I remember reading a report where uh, I don't remember the exact words but it was something to uh, the tune of when a company has monetary incentives to see to the success of something they're almost for sure going to drive it forward but what is the base um, motivation to make that particular agenda a success and that particular agenda for a company is always to drive their profits higher mm-hmm. so facebook would be incentivized to make the currency a success because that would in turn make facebook richer Right. are more profitable and that's not a good incentive to have access to creating a currency.
1: Yeah, keep the money and keep the numbers going up basically. That that's what lobbying is in, in the in the United States. You've got these big lobby groups that pump millions if not billions of dollars into Congress in order to pass uh, particular bills. And this if they had their own coin, they actually wouldn't necessarily need to do this as much. So not only are they saving money in the, in the lobbying space they're actually existing outside of uh, outside of the US dollar, outside of the jurisdiction of the US dollar in their own kind of meta jurisdiction. And I, I, I want to draw reference to this. Facebook, if it was a country, it would be the largest country on earth. They have 2.3 billion monthly active users, and that is massive. And so they kind if they then were participating in their own business coin of sorts, I mean, that's just one more aspect that would be uh, like uh, the case to be made that Facebook is its own country. It's becoming its own country of sorts.
0: Well, other, another thing is that Facebook doesn't have any KYC, which stands for know your client, know your customer uh, rules. And I have, for one, come across so many profiles that are fake. And, <laughs> and and if Facebook has no control over regulating the number of fake accounts versus the number of like true accounts, there will for one, never be a true number of citizens, quote-unquote, to this Facebook world. Um, and then the other thing is it would make money laundering really easy if uh, you just had fake accounts that you didn't really account for, to to, to say, quote-unquote, um, and they, you had all this money flowing around in this these several various platforms.
1: Yeah, it it, seems pretty sketchy.
0: Yeah, well, but also, I mean, yes, we're talking about Libra as one example, and we've stated business coin here, but there's so many tokens, cryptocurrency tokens that represent a share in a business. And for example, you can tokenize real estate or a property on a blockchain, which is the underlying infrastructure for a cryptocurrency, and you can own shares in that particular property if you have... Ownership over those tokens, or you purchase the to- those tokens over an exchange, um, and in in some sense that is also a business coin because when the property is rented towards to people, and once people pay rent, you get a small share of off of that rent because you have contributed towards making that property a success. So that is another example of a business coin, but it's it's more finite, I would say, than than Facebook that has. different agenda
1: yeah the scale at which facebook is attempting to build the business coin is is much grander Um, yeah but yeah you're totally right with respect to the other cryptocurrencies in the space a lot of them are business coins and they represent the interests of businesses in general whereas
0: and people too
1: well i mean that that might be what they say they they represent but like we, we must ask who has controlling um who has access to the controlling levers of the currency itself? That is the relevant question to ask. And I, I'm going to defer back to Libra here for a moment, because in their white paper, they actually stated a very like altruistic reason for building Libra in the first place. They said, listen, we've got 2.3 billion monthly active users, some of which are not connected to financial services in any way, shape or form. We would like to change that and give them access to a currency ridding the world of the unbanked. It's like, oh, cool. That actually sounds like a really great idea. What is the cost of that? and if the cost is having a uh, hundred multinational multi-billion dollar companies at the helm of this, then I can't help but feel like we're we're heading uh, closer to a, a world run by oligarchs, which is kind of the world that we already live in that just but it's kind of feels fueling
0: that further
1: yeah, exactly it just feels like business as usual if we allow uh, businesses to create a currency of their own. Um, it already feels like the U.S. dollar is that currency for them right now. Uh, it doesn't really feel like uh, the U.S. dollar represents the interests of uh, the U.S. government. It, it actually sometimes feels like it represents the interests of uh, United States businesses or international business in general. Um, that's that's just my mini grant on that.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. And having said that, it just brings as to one of the core properties of very properly decentralized currency. Mm -hmm. And there are advantages and disadvantages towards, sorry, between centralized and decentralized currencies. And the main difference is where is the power? Who has the power to control the scarcity, the supply, the, the, not the, well, the demand in some way too, but that obviously in the end will be, um, governed by the people
1: yeah so the demand is actually a really uh interesting thing that you said because um, i mean after listening to a number of economic podcasts the demand is essentially a function of the interest rate that's set if we want to talk about the job of the federal reserve in the united states they've got two jobs or they've got two levers to pull they set the interest rate and they set the money supply they can print money or they can raise or lower the interest rate and le- raising and lower the interest rate creates more or less demand. And I know that's really a heavy economic subject for maybe a lot of our listeners. But the point is that the levers that they can pull is altering the supply and altering the demand, which is absolutely the correct thing to ask. And can if, uh, if a business coin were to exist, would those same levers exist? Would it be two levers? Would it be one? Would it be four? Right, I I just want to elaborate on
0: the levers a little bit more because, like you rightly said, no one thinks about this or listens to this. (laughs) It's like every day, right? It's our job, so we do it, and we love to learn. Um, in this particular aspect, but if to put it really simply, say you want to start a lemonade stand, and in order to start this lemonade stand, you need some starting capital. Let's say you have five dollars of starting capital, but in order to really start things off, you need ten more dollars. And let's say some, this is something that you do every summer. So the first summer, you have, to tell us you want $10 and everything is well and good. You go to your parents and you say, hey, uh, I want $10. Can you loan me out $10? And then your parents are like, yeah, sure, everything is well and good. We will pay, we will, we will loan $10 to you if in return, we, um, you have to pay us 2% interest on this loan. Um, and that's $2
1: no it's not not let's just say that that? they want a dollar of interest a
0: dollar of interest thank you just (laughs) really really simplified thank you keegan Uh, percentages on the spot are not great so um, let's say the parents say that okay cool we will lend you ten dollars but at the end of this period we want you to give us back a dollar of interest and then that's that's great the first summer is fine let's say the next summer things are not looking really good and this is a really bad example now <laughs> I'm realizing because then the parents are like you have to give us five dollars worth of interest
1: yeah or else um, we're gonna you go to your room uh you, yeah you're or, going to the, the jail of the house. Uh,
0: yeah well like but so let's say that the next summer parents say that no actually you no, we're not uh, we're we're going we sure, should we lend you money We'll lend you the $10, but you have to give us $5 worth of interest at the end of it. And if you do your calculations right, you you think of it from last summer, you say, oh, I actually, you know, didn't make enough last summer to... Uh, give them five dollars worth of interest. If I give them one dollar, then it all—all all of the numbers made sense. I keep some profits. I make some money, and there's you know enough incentive for me to take that loan. And when you talked about the Federal Reserve has a job to do two things. One of them is uh, alter the demand. This is where that demand comes in. So. If there's, um, this is essentially where, okay, if you want to have a lemonade stand the next summer, but you realize that, oh gosh, the interest rate is really high. I'm going to have to give back $5, which is, you know, half of what I'm loaning out in the first place. And the numbers are just not going to match. I'm not going to have a lemonade stand. But let me summarize summer. for you.
1: So in other words, when the interest rate is high, it's expensive to get a loan. Yeah. When the interest rate is low, then money is essentially cheaper. Yes. Yeah, credit is cheaper.
0: Credit is cheaper. Right,
1: and that's that's the function of the Federal Reserve. when the interest There just rates.
0: needs to be a balance.
1: There does need to be a balance. In some years, the, that number needs to be high. <laughs> some years, that number needs to be low. And that, In some financial systems, I can imagine where that number doesn't exist and that number is actually set by the market itself rather than by a centralized entity. And th- this, is, this is an idea that's uh, brought out by, um, we were listening to Robert Breedlove, and uh, he was saying that okay money is actually the money market is actually the last market on earth that is not subject to market forces capitalistic market forces and, and that what that means is the prices of any goods or services are actually set by the market right They're, that the stock market sets those prices but who sets the prices of money centralized uh, banking institutions do the federal reserve sets the price of money and that's the last thing that people uh, or governments uh, have failed to let go of uh, in reality they could just let the markets decide the price of currencies and that's essentially what what the price of Bitcoin represents Bitcoin is that price it, it does it, no one can set the price it's subject to market forces and uh, yeah that's that's a weird thing
0: yeah, and that brings us to well the third type type of currency, which is the people's currency, making it truly the people's currency because people have the power to set the price.
1: That's right, and no people have the ability to pull the levers that don't exist. In the in the Bitcoin network.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, which is essentially altering supply and demand.
1: Yeah, so just to be clear, like it's it's actually not a certainty that that Bitcoin is the people's currency of the future, the be all end all thing that's going to uh, be the redeeming currency or the redeeming force that fixes our economy and our money supply and et cetera, et cetera. It, I, I'm not certain of that. I, right now, I think it's the best. it has the best chance of doing that. It is the best thing, it's the best alternative to the other options that we're being faced with. That's the entire reason why we're going full crypto and with a strong emphasis on Bitcoin. Uh, but just to be clear, it's it's by no means a certainty. We're very early into this experiment of Bitcoin, and uh, and an adequate or an appropriate amount of of risk um, and caution should be warranted and, and used when when diving into this world. But.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's we can
1: <laughs> if we're
0: still doing this podcast in twenty eighty, which is about
1: sixty, 60 years. years from yeah. now.
0: Bitcoin may not be the best alternative or it may be we we don't know we can't really predict all we can talk about is the properties that it withholds and how it will benefit if it was used as an alternative
1: yeah we, we talked about bitcoin as a wild card because i don't think it, well it's an invention that came out of nowhere like where would we be in 2020 if if bitcoin wasn't around will we have as much scrutiny for the actions taken by uh, like the u.s government for example printing Um, trillions of dollars in the last 20 years is it like would we have as much scrutiny for that if we didn't have a completely diametrically opposed system in place and that is bitcoin bitcoin does not print any more than 21 million bitcoin like if we didn't have that system would we have as much critical thought about the way that the u.s money supply is being run i i don't know so if like for The experiment of Bitcoin is at least useful for learning more about the functions of money. I know I can have a way more intelligent conversation with most people these days about money, uh, because I think in general, we all know more. We all know a little bit more.
0: Yeah, well, I kind of want to close this with some ending thoughts and looking looking back into where we came from. There is a lot of technologies that we have improved in order to get access, direct access to where we want to head to. Let me give you an example. Let's think about um, the way that we travel. Just initially, before everybody had the ability to have their own horse, let's say you, you needed to travel with a, a bullet cart. Let's fast forward that to when transport was more easily manufactured. So. If you could, well, you would walk, but if you could afford it to get to a place faster, you would probably take public transport. And that's where the the public transport is the intermediary. It's the third party that takes you from place A to place B. But think about it now. Almost everyone has a car. Um, And if I was talking just about Canada, if we want to go places, you really need a car. And that's what takes you directly from place A to place B. And just even talking about telecommunications in the very, very early stages, you if you needed to reach someone, you needed to call this third party, this intermediary and say, hey, can you connect me to this other person? And that's where uh, the cable um, came, not cable, referring to the cable board, where someone had to really connect you on this multiplexer and connect you to this other person. And they were the third party. They were the intermediary. But we've always trended towards having direct access to the person that we want to get to or the place that we want to reach the destination that we want to get to and money uh, or more specifically payments over the internet is still something that is heavily relying on third party intervention if we want to send money to somebody else across the world or even domestically and it's above a certain am- amount we still have to go through a bank we still have to rely on a third party to make that transaction happen and As Bitcoin stated in the white paper, that is what it wanted to solve. That's the problem that it began to solve is direct, peer-to-peer transfer of money. And I have no doubt that if it isn't Bitcoin, we are going to come up with some sort of financial technology that makes it easier for people to directly transfer value in the form of money to another person.
1: That's amazing. That was well said. I I, want to summarize that just like with a couple of sentences. So basically what you said is that technology trends towards removing third parties. Yes. Another way to say that is technology trends towards more efficient systems. And I I think that in, in general, capitalism is more willing to buy more efficient systems. They're more willing to adopt more efficient systems because it's cheaper for them to do so and they can increase their own efficiencies, they being businesses, people in general.
0: Yeah, it depends on who you're talking about it this time. Depends on who you sure. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: it still makes other businesses and organizations obsolete. So there's always an aspect of um, something being obsolete when there's newer technologies. And that transition is always hard. Think about it's when It's painful we, for someone. It is painful for someone, but yeah. it has to be. There's no way to move forward without leaving something back.
1: That is what progress looks like. It's really unfortunate we all resist change as much as we do. And I, I think change is m- more generational than it is instant. And so like, even though like you and I were early adopters of Bitcoin, but like the main adoption curve might not start until 2040 when or
0: the, or we're part of the adoption curve.
1: Well, we are definitely a part of the adoption curve, uh but I think we're on like the really early end of it. I mean like when it really starts taking off, it's really hard to tell where where we are with with respect to that. Where,
0: when, when we're in it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't mean with Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. I kind of just mean with with respect to currencies systems that have the intermediary removed and the uh, this is more of a certainty in my mind in, in general. It's that uh, a currency system that removes a third party is is the way of the future. Whether or not that's a government provided or business provided or United Nations provided or... Or just
0: there because someone decided to release it and other people decided to adopt it.
1: Shout out Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is the way of the future. So I, I love that summary that you gave. That was, that was really good. Yeah.
0: Perfect. And thank you for summarizing my lemonade stand analogy. I <laughs> felt like I might have got a little bit too far with that one.
1: Oh, it's it's all good. I I managed to encapsulate it really nicely you at did. the end there. Yeah, I I, I like the analogy because it was it was a good uh, tangent into uh, those two levers and right. we've been using those terms and we've probably actually used it in past episodes, but not really dived into it. Dove dive dived into it and explained what those levels (laughs) and levers actually are so it's good that our listeners get to hear that from us
0: yes Yeah. yeah absolutely um so once again we turn to your audience if you have any opinions that you want to bring up and discuss with us or if you have thoughts on what we've talked about or questions we love questions if you have questions that you want us to discuss and discuss with other people if you want to say something that you want broadcasted on this podcast If you want to come
1: on the show, even like if you're if you're a person that has uh, a well expressed opinion or you're a prominent economic figure or you work in the blockchain industry, you know, crypto crypto industry, yeah, reach out to us and uh,
0: yeah, the best way to find us is, uh, well, the best way to reach us is go to our website, which is gofullcrypto.com forward slash contact. And otherwise, just reach out to us on social channels. We are we live in the virtual world, so it wouldn't be hard to find us on the internet. Yep. Yep. This is your hosts, Keegan and Ragakshi signing off. Stay tuned and talk to you next time.